Welcome to WWDMD, a podcast that is all about peeling back the curtain on what clinicians really think and feel as they work with others. My guests, clinicians, who are also sometimes clients themselves, risk their vulnerability as they publicly share their emotional reactions to their clients, disclose their challenges in doing the work, and reveal their personal backgrounds. I'm Dr. Myers. I'm a psychotherapist in New York City with 30 years of practice experience specializing in anxiety and depressive disorders, as well as sibling relationships and family systems. I'm also a professor of social work at Malloy University on Long Island. I see this as a journey of self-reflection for not only our guests, but you, because with each episode, I'm hopeful that you will learn something new about yourself. Please note that any discussion of case details have been modified to protect the privacy of our clients. What would Dr. Myers do? Hey, everyone. I'm with Celeste Vasier today. She is host of the podcast, Celeste the Therapist, and she is a mental health advocate, best-selling author, and mental health clinician with her own full-time private practice. And she's from Boston, Mass., and she focuses on the power of living a conscious life. So she's dedicated herself to um, breaking the stigma of mental health and emotional health, especially in communities of color. And it seems like there's so much to speak with her about today, but I'd like to start with this whole idea of shifting the way we think and her perspective of healing the inner child. I also had a great time guesting on her podcast a few months ago, and so now it's her time. So welcome, Celeste. Thank you so much for the introduction, and thank you so much for having me. I I enjoyed you as well. It was such a good episode. Thank you. Um, so let's see if we can pull it out again. So um, tell me about this idea of healing the inner child, because from what I know about it, I mean, it just makes sense, right, just to kind of yeah. hear that term, because we all have trauma within us and children who we need to heal to become... Yeah our better selves. But from what I've heard about it, it's a a Jungian theory. He talked about the inner child focusing on addressing our unmet needs by reparenting ourselves. And so I'm wondering what what your um, philosophy around it is. And yeah, you know, I've uh, heard different variations of like healing the inner child. Uh, And for me personally, um, it's a journey that I went on. Uh, it wasn't like intentional where I said, I'm going to heal the inner child. Um, it wasn't a terminology I, I heard about until just being in my practice and doing a lot of research. But because I've worked with people my entire life, uh, different race, socioeconomic status and different traumas, I recognize just how much our history plays heavily in our present and our lack of like moving forward in the future or feeling stagnant it's because of that mental tape of our past that unfortunately becomes the lens that we see life under. Um, and so the idea of working on healing the inner child, because you can't change the past, um, but you can heal like from the things that you have gone through. Uh, and I've just kind of witnessed it for my own personal life and just in so many lives of people that I've worked with over the years. Mm-hmm. So what's your formal training behind it? So there's no, it's there, there wasn't a, a class I took or anything like that. Maybe over since 2015, 16, I've 
started reading more books, self-help books. Um, and that's when I started my practice prior to that. I worked a lot in the community. I didn't do a lot of long-term work uh, with people, a lot of like uh, needs, housing, uh, different kind of needs of helping people get to that place. It wasn't until I started to do individual work where I was able to sit with people longer and go deeper into things where I recognized uh, just how much trauma was playing a role and and how they were feeling. And so uh, a lot of uh, books I've read uh, by Buddhist authors and um, one of my favorite one is uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. He has a book called Reconciliation, Healing the Inner Child. Uh, so th- those are the literatures that um, kind of propelled me to create different courses and things on healing the inner child for people. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to take me through a course, if you can do that, the framework, right? So what's the approach? Yeah. So uh, if I can, um, so I actually created a course, uh, what Dr. Myers is talking about called Healing the Inner Child. And I uh, used uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's book uh, as the framework for it. So I based it off of the chapters in the book. And so just to kind of sum it up, instead of going through each uh, course, there's the awareness of uh, what's happening, understanding the triggers, um, how to not how to not get caught in the past. So a lot of the work uh, talks about consciousness, being conscious, and living in America, uh, the hustle and bustle. I feel like we're always on the go. Like we don't create space to pause. And because we're not pausing, a lot of the things that we've gone through, um, our mind is using that as the framework for what we're seeing. And I I notice this plays out a lot in relationships where people are constantly triggered. uh, And it's because they're not recognizing the past from the present. You know, when, when these emotions come up, our inner child, the pain or the things that we've gone through, Unfortunately, it feels like it's happening even at 40 and 50 years old, right? And so if we're not consciously aware of what's happening, what will happen is our mind will begin to get us prepared. Oh my gosh, we're going to be abandoned again. Oh my gosh, this thing is happening again. What are we going to do? And because most people aren't consciously aware of uh, the emotions that are happening and how they're connected to the past, they're responding off of their past emotions or they're framing that current situation in a way that may not fit the same emotion that they're giving to it. And so uh, on, in the course, um, people are educating themselves about that process, right? And then learning how to create habits that will stick, learning how to become more conscious, learning how to grieve the past, because there's this grieving process I feel like that takes place when we realize like, oh my gosh, I've been living like this for a long time. And then how do we have grace with ourselves as we're walking into the present and in the future? Uh, So that's pretty much um, how the course goes. And I think people know about the big traumas like sexual, physical abuse, but there's a lot of smaller things that um, could have happened that not really understanding is happening. And so I think it helps people really begin to understand themselves better and how they operate and why they operate the way they operate. So what's a what's a smaller trauma? So I I don't want to say it's small because because something that may have seemed small is uh big to someone else. Say uh like one parent's divorce may not have affected them 
as somebody else whose parents were divorced, or let's say that something happened in class one day where they were singled out and they never healed from that one moment that may have been minimized or they never talked about later, but their mind may have begun to replay and say like, you're not good enough because of one incident. Uh, So I don't want to say it's small, but it's not something that society would highlight or you may have missed, right? If it wasn't like you were, yeah. Yeah, I get it. So I think it's so interesting because hearing you talk about this process of healing in the inner child sounds very similar to what I spoke about uh, when I guessed it on your episode is the whole idea of transference, right? And how we take in these experiences that have happened to us and internalize them. And then we move through this life projecting those experiences, expecting other people to respond to us in the same way. And so that's trauma being replayed. And it's just really about coming at it perhaps from a slightly different angle, but really it sounds like the underlying conceptualization is extremely similar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why I said like it's framed in different ways, uh, you know, exactly what you're talking about with the counter-transference. If if I'm a therapist and and I'm meeting with Dr. Myers and and something's uh, happening that's similar to what you're saying, if I'm not consciously aware... I might give advice that's based off of my trauma, or I might say things that may harm you in a way. Uh, and, and so it's important to be like consciously aware of what's going on in your life, because we, like I said, we can never go back and change the past, but unfortunately we're allowing it to affect us in the present on a regular basis. Absolutely. And so in my work, the first thing we have to do is to bring that into consciousness, which I think yeah. you're saying as well, yeah. right? Yeah. But then once you bring that into consciousness, then say the clients know what they're doing, they recognize it, but that doesn't mean that they can stop the familiar the familiar mm-hmm. patterns, either through self-talk or again, like I just keep hearing these different uh, types of interventions. And now I was thinking about CBT and irrational thoughts. And so I'm wondering what you exactly do once you bring it into consciousness, how you help them break those patterns. You know, a big, so awareness and in, in, in their thought process, but also in their body. Uh, you know, I think um, a lot of therapists, we're not, we haven't really been trained about like somatic symptoms and how uh, trauma can be held in our body and and how to be aware. Sometimes our physical body responds before we can logically create sense out of what's going on. Uh, so, you know, it, when I'm working with people, like I hear their story, um, I hear what their needs are currently or what they want to work on. Um, and I'm helping them connect the, the dots. You know, I think when you're talking about things that are happening in the mind or in the past, a lot of the times people aren't really aware. I don't care how smart you are. If you're not aware of your emotions and don't understand how they play a role in your behaviors or how you feel, you're going to struggle. Uh, and we're all human and we're all, we all have emotions. And so a big piece of what I do is we're talking about emotions. We're talking about the body um, and how the body responds and how it, because, you know, for me, I get back, I'll get like back pain, stomach turning if I'm struggling. Uh, and a lot, we, we, we've been so conditioned to not listen to our body um, that unfortunately it's screaming at us all the time that we're not okay. Um, and, and I think the awareness and the thoughts and the body, and then the 
feelings and helping them make connections really helps people start to shift their thought process around their life and the power that they have to create change. Mm, it's so deep. It sounds kind of simple, but yet it's so complicated, uh, right? It's, it's <laughs> so, it's so, Doc, you're so right. Like, um, you know, I always, cause I have a way of being concise and talking about things that sound simple. And I had a guest that said, you know, what we talk about is kind of like, it sounds like walking over a puddle, but it feels like walking through the Grand Canyon. So the feeling of it, it is hard. And you know why it's so hard is because when you've been conditioned a certain way for so many years, trying to change that, especially as an adult, is actually really challenging. And that's another piece that I bring into sessions with people because you start beating yourself up. Like, why can't I just get this together? And it's like, because you've been doing it this way for so long. So you're literally fighting with your system to create change. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. I mean, I always say like, if it took you 40 or 50 years to turn into who you are, it's going to take some time to undo a little bit, right? But they sometimes I find... Uh, clients really struggling with, but how does that happen? And like, how can you guarantee me that this isn't going to go on forever and ever? And so it brings me back to, again, some of the commonalities in the way we work or how we think about it, maybe just using different terminology. So part of what I think is providing a corrective emotional experience. So if you had this damage done to you as a child, that means that the people around you, often caregivers, had some faulty parenting and we're all limited human beings, so I always try not to blame parents, but just, you know, parents are people with limitations. Mm-hmm. And so we provide new corrective experiences, new ways of responding to them. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, it's a form of reparenting. But when I was thinking about this impending interview, I was thinking about that whole inner child um, thing that I learned about some time ago and then somehow never really made the connection to what how I work as well. And so I read something that said the first step, and and tell me if you're aligned with this, is you need to acknowledge the child within, right? Mm -hmm. And as long as it goes unnoticed, you can't begin the healing process. So you have to notice it. Then you start communicating with it, finding a way to hear what the inner child has to tell you as a key to access the source of your trauma. Yeah. And then finally, you step into the role of a nurturing parent. And so, but not necessarily you as therapist, but the client, right? So they're reparenting themselves. Is that how you would think about it? And you give your inner child exactly what it needs. Yeah. So the awareness, right, that there's this inner child, there's this person uh, that didn't have um, that hug or wasn't told like it's going to be okay when that thing happened in class, or we didn't acknowledge that trauma that took place, right? So you're going to, as an adult, so let's say like a shame or abandonment was an emotion um, that I've struggled with that as a child, I wasn't calling it abandonment, but there were many moments that that's what I felt. As an adult, especially in my relationship, there are moments where it feels that way. And like, I literally will like put my hand on my chest or my stomach and just take a deep breath and say, wow, that feels really hard. Like as I just now took a deep breath thinking about those moments and and I'll tell myself like, it's okay now. And, you know, the important part of like telling myself it's okay, it lets my mind know it's okay because my mind doesn't have the concept of time. 
my mind is going back to that moment because the feeling is so familiar, right? We're creatures of habit. And so I'm like, oh, it's okay. And so that my mind knows, okay, we can relax. We don't have to like get amped up. We don't have to worry. We don't have to rash out because we're looking at the situation in a way, like if, if I'm not realizing that my inner child stuff is coming up, I'm looking at the situation and you know how some people may find themselves responding in a childlike manner, like, why are you acting like a child? Because unfortunately, sometimes when people are triggered, that's what happens. The child like in them comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, no, I tell people, no matter how much healing work you've done, there are always going to be moments where that inner child may come out. Um, and so the more consciously you're aware of those moments, the more you can help like settle it down. Now it doesn't, the triggers aren't as nearly as intense as before, um, before I've done the work with myself. So part of what you do, if I understand, is teaching self-soothing techniques, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to what I would do is to be the soother so that it's mm-hmm. kind of modeling it and hopefully the client can take that in and start to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. which doesn't mean, right, that's from a psychodynamic perspective, but from a CBT, I, I would also give interventions, tools, strategies, how to kind of self-talk. Yes. You're talking about really giving them techniques to help them learn how to bring it down right. a notch. Right. Nurture their, 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 it, that it, part it, of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we only um, have limited time with them and, you know, I think that the way that you do it is is like important the way that I like, you know, I think I go back and forth with that where I'm like talking about it, then having them do it. And um, people struggle with the fact that there's no time frame of when this click or aha moment is going to happen with therapy, you know, because you start and you realize, oh, my gosh, I got a lot of stuff to work on. Um, it's not like you go to school and you graduate, you know, the date you're going to graduate. <laughs> so all of that hard work is like, I know May 15th, I'm going to be done, right? It feels a little bit easier to keep going. And so in sessions with people, as we're talking about this stuff and doing the work, I'm big on highlighting those moments of clarity, even if they're hard moments of like, oh yeah, I remember this, like it could be something hard, but I I um, give them praise for being able to consciously be aware of that moment that felt scary or that they made that connection so that they can help um, with the confidence of going forward. Um, Because it's not like they're all beautiful moments of clarity, but that's still big for somebody that has lived in survival mode most of their life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you give an example of someone that you've worked with or are working with in this way? what it looks like? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like so many people, you know, they'll say like, uh, you know, I, let's just say like, oh, I was gonna, um, I got into a argument with my partner and um, I, I lashed out, you know, and I felt really bad about it. Um, the next day I realized like it wasn't about them. It was something else that happened, right? But they're in here, they may be crying and talking about how bad they feel. And I think the average person wouldn't think of that as a highlight, right? But I'm able to help them see, yeah, in the moment you weren't able to like calm down, but you know what? The next day you were able to relax and make the connection. 
now, like the goal is to work on ways to for it to happen before that moment escalates. But the fact that you became aware is great, right? Because then it's like ne- next thing you know, the same moment they're gonna tell me about I was about to spaz out, but then I realized like this wasn't a situation that warranted that. This was something else, you know. So we're we're calculating those moments, and um, they're hard moments. But I think we don't give enough credit to the hard moments. Um, I think we look at it as a failure um, when it's no, it's actually you're doing better than what you were before because before you didn't even recognize that piece. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. You're talking about generally people look at what's not happening instead of what is happening. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Those small, small moments add up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're saying that generally then how the person improves is that the more that this is brought into consciousness, right? Their feelings are brought into awareness. Slowly, they just manage it. You know, they're able to manage it better in the moment that just happened. The more that they are aware, aware, all of a sudden it shifts to management. Yeah, because what's happening is remember, like the mind. I always, I love the mind. It's like an amazing place, but it could be a dangerous place if we're not like consciously aware. And so, if my mind is always like uh, in this place of someone's gonna harm me or they're after me, right? Because of whatever happened as a child, and I start to make connections and I start to become aware. Now my mind is going to start looking for those moments. People say like, oh, you know, the universe starts speaking to you when you like, but it's because you're, you know, your mind is now focusing on ways to heal because that's been your intention. The same way, whatever kind of car you drive, you start seeing it everywhere. Not because people brought your same car overnight, but because you're looking at that car every day. The same thing that happens when we start to work on healing. We start to look at situations differently. We start to see shows or literature. And that's where those clicking moments happen, right? It's not like a, I tell people it's not me. It's because you're putting in the work, you know? And I think that when we can create space to help people recognize those moments as therapists, it really helps people keep going. Because, you know, now with the mental health crisis, I feel like so many people are marketing off of people's pain and creating these like gimmicks of like get fixed quick stuff, like literature and the way they're saying it, that people think they're failing because it's not working fast enough, right? Mm. Um, and so it's a process that is a daily process, but it's in, it, cre- it, it needs to be intentional. Um, and I think it's important to celebrate every moment that happens. I can go in so many directions with that, but I'm a little stuck on the car analogy because I just love that. It's so true, <laughs> right? Once once you recognize something, then you start to see it all over. And so it's yeah. the path towards healing. You're making a great argument for that. The yeah. more that we bring things into our consciousness, the more we're able to, it goes back to my original question, manage them. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a believer in that as well. Um, so tell me, can you tell me if you don't mind about your path to this way of working, because you alluded to yeah. at the very beginning that it was your own work that led you here. Yeah. So, um, it's so you know, I, I started out working at a shelter because I needed money, um, and I was able to um, talk to people that didn't look like me. That you know, um, and they would just say thank you for like helping me. And you, I was like, what I do is like you listen. 
Uh, so then I decided to go on this path of therapy, but I've always worked in the nonprofit world. Uh, and I realized obviously it's limited and, and those spaces with money. And so I always felt like I was putting band-aids on things. I really wanted to do deeper work and went into private practice. But prior to me going into private practice, I did my own therapy journey. And I, I remember seeing someone, I can't remember her name, but I was, because I, 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 I had just finished college and, you know, I tell people um, there's different ways that people have coped. You know, we know drugs and alcohol are, are, are one of those ways that um, create a lot of harm. But for me, it was school and work. Right. So society would look at me as thriving, but I wasn't thriving. I was thriving on paper, but inside I was in turmoil. Like I really just wanted to not be here, but I'm at work helping all of these people that are loving me. Um, and so like I got tired of the the way that I was living, like smiling during the day, sat at night um, I did therapy. I did EMDR, which was really great. And so even during those moments, I never said it to myself, like, oh, I'm healing the inner child, which is like why you said like, oh, I never thought about it. It's just literally what I'm doing, right? It's just a, a name for a, a practice that I um, have enjoyed uh, talking about. And so, you know, going into private practice, hearing these stories uh, led me to kind of create uh, like a healing the inner child class, right? Because I, I, you know, I know because of the, the work that I've done as far as on my own self, not just therapy, but everything else outside of therapy has really allowed me to feel like I'm living life and not surviving. And because it feels so good, I just have so much passion to share with people because I think when we're educated about uh, emotions, because like life is hard. My, my 10 year old daughter, you know, I'm they're, they're all about emotions. Like, it's like, they're surprised adults don't understand emotions. Cause I'm like, I got to break the cycle. And, um, she's like, I know mom, life is hard. Like if I say no, like she gets it. And, um, I don't think we realize like there, there are hard moments, but we don't have the tools to deal with them. Mm. Right. We, we, we know about buying a house. We, you know, we're looking for all of these aesthetic things, but the internal stuff is like, nobody's talking about that. And so we're, we have all this money and things, but we're suffering inside. Mm, and so mm. because I no longer feel like I'm just suffering, um, I wanted to give that back to the world. <laughs> That's a great story. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I, I always appreciate, you know, when we start from within and, or, or, Start without, but then come within. Yeah. One way or another, we got to circle back to within ourselves, yeah. right? And yeah. to arm us with the ability to help others. But yeah. um, I, I'm struck by you had said that you experienced EMDR. And tell the audience again what that is, way of working with trauma. I, I rapid movement. Uh, I don't know. So EMDR is... Um, it's like a somatic therapy. So the body, there's a lot of, I'm not a somatic therapist. I bring a lot of body work into it. Um, but EMDR basically is uh, where uh, the person that's trained in it, um, we talk. We don't really talk about the trauma, but they're having you blink your eyes. And there's something uh, scientific about the eye blinking that helps, because um, I, I was very disintegrated. It helps me integrate better. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know the science behind it, but the same mm -hmm. way there's like people that do the tapping. Mm -hmm. There's science, there's a lot of different things outside of talk therapy that me and Dr. Myers do 
um, that can help integrate and bring awareness back into to your life. I felt mm-hmm. like I was like divorced from my body, right? Wow. It was not safe. And so like having that integration on top of the talk really helped me like integrate better. Right. We're both going to end this episode and and look up what it is because I can never hold on to it. It's eye movement, desensitization, EMD. And then Rapid, I don't know what right? the R is. But that's oh. the R. The R is at the end. Oh, it is. <laughs> but anyway, I think what I'm curious about is if you felt that that worked for you. I find that usually people develop their niche or their way of working, their approach around what worked for them. And that worked for you, but you moved away from it. Is there any kind of link yeah. to that? Yeah. So the, the, the therapy was longer. So it was, I was there for a, about a year and a half straight. I'm, I currently have a therapist I see once a month, but back then I was going weekly and then bi-weekly. Um, EMDR is a short eight week session. Um, I love talking to people. I love processing. Mm-hmm. Uh, EMDR, there's not a lot of talking. There's, it's really short term uh, so yes, it worked for me, but I don't, I, I did I would even now I don't see myself doing it, um, on a regular basis. I mean, it's something I would want to add to my practice and it's, it's important. I'm so glad we're, we're saying this is like therapists that don't specialize in it. So we, so people can know, like, there's so many different modalities. So many of, different, of, yes. So many different ones that like, you know, we don't specialize in, but it's, I think it's important for our audiences to know about, these different things that are out there. Cause I didn't know anything about it until I went. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you, you know, talk about shifting the way we think, obviously everything you've just said is leading to shifting <laughs> the way we think, but do you have a, a, a purpose in regard to your podcast as well? Cause you know, it's touted as shifting the way we think and we're going to help mm-hmm. people do that. So in what realm are you trying to shift? Yeah. And You know, I think that a lot of us are stuck, right? A lot of people feel stuck Um, and feeling stuck and being stuck are two different things. It's interesting as adults, um, like I'll, I'll, they'll come to me with a problem and then I'll say, um, oh, well, have you uh, thought about this? Or I ask a leading question and it's something simple, like you alluded to earlier, right? But it feels hard because some people never have power over their life. Um, and unfortunately, the inner child is the one that's heading the show and now you're freezing. Um, and so when I think about shifting the way we think, it's like not allowing that traumatic tape or that previous tape to be the way that you think, right? If I have uh, red shades on and I'm looking at the sky and I'm telling you the sky is red and, you look, and you're like, no, Celeste, it's blue, right? You know, It's hard to get to me and help me understand because all I know is that it's red. That's the only thing I've had on my eyes. I, you know, once I start to do the work and scrape off the red, I'm like, oh, it is blue, right? Now I'm shifting. But it takes time when you've been thinking that way and your mind's been operating that way for so long. You know, I, I tell people if if you needed a heart transplant, sometimes and your heart's bad, sometimes the, the body will reject the bad heart the good heart that you're getting because it's new, it's foreign, right? And so when we're thinking about shifting our thought process, it's a really hard process to do, but it's necessary because when we know the mind only knows what we give it, and if we only have an old narrative of trauma or hurt or pain, 
then it looks at life in that way, the same way with the car analogy. And so if I give it a new way to look at life, now it's looking for things, it's looking for the roses, it's looking for the sun. It's not feeling gloomy all the time because now it can actually see. The red is off of the glasses. Now I can see the sky. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense to me. It makes me think about what I often say is that the discomfort we're in is familiar and therefore it's comfortable. So we become comfortable in our discomfort. Yes. And so how do we make the comfortable uncomfortable, actually, rather than making the uncomfortable comfortable? How do we make the uncomfortable? No. (laughs) No, you're right. Comfortable, uncomfortable. Exactly. Um, Because we do tend to hold on or cling to that. It's like a cozy blanket, even though it's, you know, the cozy blanket might be prickly. It might, it might be made out of scratchy wool. It's still, you know, we've had this, as you say, right, since we're a kid and and we like it because it reminds us of yeah. home. And even though home isn't such a great place, it makes me think yeah. about you know children who are abused, and um, they still want to be with that abusive parent right. because it's right. all they know. Right. Uh, they don't think about what could be better out there. They just right. know that That's you know mom know. or dad is is home, so to speak. Yeah. And so I think what you're you're talking about, you know, taking off those glasses, it's like shifting perspectives is no easy task, right? It's like, you know, yanking somebody from their mama bear, you know, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's important for people to know they're not failing if it's not happening quick. And Mm -hmm. like, I love how you're, you, you said it sounds like, and I'm like, I really want people to know sounding like and being are two different things. And you know, the same way if somebody grew up in chaos, right? And and I'm working on helping them change and 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 I'm and I'm helping them see like you're actually adding more chaos to your life because the peace is uncomfortable. Who would ever think peace is uncomfortable? Well, if all you know is chaos, why wouldn't it be uncomfortable? And I think when people start to understand that, they're like, oh, it makes sense, right? If we're not taught that, we're thinking like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I get it together? Right. And I think the more like people like you and I have these platforms and are educating people, then we're able to like people are able to see that, oh, it's OK. Right. Like I, we're just so hard on ourselves. We are our biggest bully and don't even realize it. And it breaks my heart that so many people are suffering. And I say for no reason, because the information is there, but we're not being taught. Yeah. I think it's uh, so sad how unkind we are to ourselves. And that's what we're trying to do is kind of by developing this new lens, helping people to be kinder. And it's one of the things I find myself asking more so of late is, you know, what's your inner voice like? Is it kind or is it mean, you know, and how do we shift it to be kinder more often or just period, be kind. Um, So I'm wondering when you talk about people being stuck, what do you see people being stuck with? Uh, you know, I, I think when I think about how stuck, it's different situations. It's uh, their goals with their life, whether it's professionally or relationship wise. I guess the main thing I see is relationships. But again, that's where most of the trauma comes out um, in relationships. There's a lot of mimicking that happens. Um, and, and so, I feel like people don't understand their power. They don't understand the choices that they have. Like if 
we're talking about a relationship and you're not getting what you need or you're not happy. And, and I'll say, well, what do you, what, what do you want? You know, some people never really think about what they want because they've never really had autonomy growing up. Um, they're looking for the other person to change. They're looking for the job to change how they treat them, the friend to stop asking them for things. And so like, I don't want my peace to be contingent upon when Dr. Maya started to treat me better, right? And I think that, um, you know, when I frame things a certain way, people are like, actually, I do have a choice, right? I can actually go and and um, talk to human resources or I can um, look for another job. Like, I'm not stuck here. But it's not easy to change. Like, I think for people, they're used to being treated a certain way based off of their past trauma that it's an unfortunate, comfortable space to be in, but they know they're not happy. And so they're trying to figure out what do I do? And and what you do is not wait for somebody else to change. That's so interesting. Uh, Cause I feel like, again, you know, I deal with this a lot and I'm always kind of trying to decipher or help the client decipher, is it something that's workable or not? Right. So is it helping them to learn how to confront and try and get what they need and when to know that this person that they're dealing with might not be changeable and might not be workable, and then they have a decision to make. Do you want to right. continue to engage with this person or do you want to disengage? And part of what happens, I think, is the repetition of wanting to turn these new people in their lives, not necessarily new, but certainly not from their childhood, into the people that they needed these earlier people to be and weren't. And in that sense, they're repeating these patterns of, again, familiarity, trying to, you know, get the boyfriend to just do such and such, if they could just be this way. And it's like, but that's not who this person is. Yeah, yeah. It's a hard reckoning. I never thought about that, about them trying to get, the person that's a really good uh, awareness for me to bring into sessions um and I, I never framed it that way but you're absolutely right and i think that when people are able to get a therapist that works for them it's great because you're not in your head trying to manage stuff on your own yeah. um and you know obviously we're on the outside looking in so we see it clear obviously there's moments my therapist has like said things to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought about it that way because he's on the outside looking at me. So um, it's just interesting that uh, I find it so interesting how so many people do not see their choices and situations. I think a lot of people are kind of waiting for the change to just miraculously happen. Um, Agreed. Well, that's why we're so needed, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because we're here to help them bring that into consciousness, as yeah, you said. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people think that they can do this on our own. And even us who live in, in this work day in and day out, we have a certain level of insight, certainly about ourselves too, because we've been through the process and we're continuously growing personally and professionally. Yep. But sometimes, yes, you need an objective lens to say, wait a second, could this be happening, right? Or to pose that question to you or make that connection for you. That's why, I mean, we're works in progress. We're never finished growing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering when somebody comes to you, do you tell them how you work, that you're going to work with their inner child? Um, Do they already know that coming in? Do they understand what's happening? Or you're just kind of doing your thing? 
Yeah, I never, I, I don't use that language. I feel like that would be a lot for people. Sometimes I'll, it'll it come up when we get deeper into work. Uh, so when people come, I kind of tell them, you know, I'm a CBT therapist. I think we have a lot of faulty thinking based off of our past. And the goal is to make connections. I don't do any kind of deep trauma work at the beginning because I don't know what people's capacity is. Some people have already started the work. So it's easier for me to take over people that are like fresh meat, like no therapy, a little bit more challenging, um, you know, um, working with them. And, you know, I, I meet people where they are emotionally and just their mindset wise. And I have some people that are super aware and some people that just have no idea and they're everything. It's like, whoa. So it's just interesting the spectrum of people, but I don't say healing the inner child. I think it may sound weird for some people to hear, uh, but I will say, I will talk about how our past connects to our present. Essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it sounds like it's a little hokey or very kind of 1970s. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when that came onto the scene, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I'm not sure, yeah. but you're absolutely right i think right. even just me being in therapy and learning about like different things is like it sounded weird but i'm like what i'm doing isn't working so i'm just gonna try something else so i always present people with the fact that this may sound a little hard believe i would say believe me like that i felt that way too but if what you're doing isn't working like it doesn't hurt to try something different mm -hmm. so uh i think you've kind of promoted the way that you work uh throughout this whole discussion but I want to give you a, a true platform to promote uh, either a piece or several pieces of your work. You know, if you want to talk about your podcast or your books. So, I, I mean, so I, I have a podcast um, called Celeste Therapist. Um, it started in 2018. Um, I used to go on Periscope, which is no longer there, and uh, YouTube Live and uh, kind of pick a topic and talk about it. And then Fridays, people can ask me questions about mental health, um, making it clear, like I'm not your therapist, um, because I really wanted to get information out. Um, and so the podcast was created because even though therapy worked for me and, and it was great, I realized like how hard it could be to find a therapist. And um, some people may, it may not work. Like the talking stuff may not be what's for them. And that's okay. Um, and so the, the podcast has different people on that are not always therapists that just talks about different ways that they've worked through their healing and kind of what they're doing. Um, and, and my goal is to help people. I think storytelling is powerful. Uh, I, I feel like Alcoholic Anonymous has been around for so many years because of that piece. And it's there's no clinical component to it. Uh, and so like uh, the, the podcast, the goal is to just help you. You may hear a story that's similar to yours or that can help you really shift your thought process. Because I, I do believe a lot of times people feel like it's just them or they're alone in this. Mm. That's a hard way to think. It's like, it's just me. But it, not that you want to, you want other people to suffer. But if you know, oh, somebody's healed from this, it, it actually feels empowering. It, it feels very empowering. So, you know, my goal with everything I do is to just help people um, get empowered and and start to use their power. That's awesome. I think we need more uh, positive forums for that because I think as you, I think alluded to before about social media, right? And what's happening to folks yeah. and people are clearly looking for connection through pain. And this is a way to do it in a much more positive way, yeah. not just putting out people's stuff or like really bad feelings and 
desperately looking for help, but saying, this is a tool. This is something that you could benefit from and learn from and think about in a new way. And yes, you're not alone, but in a very, very different holding fashion, I think. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad you're out there. And uh, I hope that I can make a, a little bit of an impact too in that way. And this was great. I think it's so fun to hear about the way that you work and to find those pieces that are so clearly connected either to the way I work or just universally, but yet we have such different language for, and it really kind of all comes together in the end. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for being with me. Thank you for uh, having me. This was awesome. Good. I look forward to future conversations. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a question for me, follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Myers Pod. That's D-R-M-E-Y-E-R-S-P-O-D. And send me a DM for a chance to get your question answered on the podcast. I've got some problems, yeah, I've got some questions. I need some help, point me in any direction. Clinical guidance is what I need to help me become who I meant to be. I've been searching for a teacher, another point of view. And I've been asking myself, what would Dr. Myers do?